Hello and welcome. You're listening to Leadership Playbook, a London Business School podcast exploring the latest thinking and key issues for leaders and those aspiring to lead. I'm Randall Peterson. I'm a professor in the Organizational Behavior Group and the director of the Leadership Institute at London Business School. Today, I'm speaking with Laura Jurija, and she's a postdoctoral research fellow at London Business School. She studies topics such as how people use their time, engagement, happiness, and the future of work, where are we going in work. She's passionate about conducting experimental and behavioral studies with not-for-profit and company collaborators around the world. She's been at Cornell. She's been at Harvard Business School. She's with us now. And she's currently working on a diverse set of projects that examine the psychology behind how employees and organizations set, push, and maintain boundaries at work and in their personal life to learn how we can thrive, be more productive, live a happier life. Her most recent work has been published in Harvard Business Review and in Nature, Human Behavior. So tell us more about your research. Absolutely. Hi, Randall. Hi, everyone. So as you said, you know, broadly, my research focuses on understanding how the decisions people make about how to spend their time, both at work and in their personal life, impact well-being and productivity. And I study time use and perceptions of time in relations to things like engagement, happiness, work-life balance. And I'm particularly fascinated recently by the changing nature of work and how can employees and leaders thrive today when in many cases the workplace is no longer necessarily a discrete physical location with technology facilitating the emergence of boundaryless organizations, virtual workspaces, and the possibility to constantly be connected to our work. Changing circumstances around the nature of work suggest the need to understand more complex work-home interactions and in particular how do employees maintain boundaries that are necessary for well-being and productivity? Okay. Can you say a little bit more about the nature of the problem? I read some of the things that you've written, and you talk about, for example, things like time poverty, which I thought was interesting. It's not something I really think about, but the concept is interesting, and it seems like it's a huge problem. Absolutely, yeah. And that is work primarily led by Ashley Williams, my collaborator at Harvard. And it's this idea of having too much to do and not enough time to do it. And what I take on my uh, my end of the research is, you know, understanding how to help employees be productive during work hours, but also disconnect from work outside of work hours, because this is arguably or it's becoming one of the most pressing issues that organizations and modern societies face. On the one hand, technology has provided us with this opportunity of being more productive, of being connected with everyone around the world. But on the other hand, it has also promoted this culture of always on, always working. And it has, you know, ironically made us less happy and less productive by being so. So how does that work? If we're working 24-7, why are we not more productive producing more? than if we're only working an eight or a nine hour day? You know, there's increasing evidence that employee well-being matters for performance. And I think that's a good thing that we're seeing this trend. Of course, there's a long way from recognizing that well-being matters to actually implementing changes in that direction. And it might just be that companies don't implement those changes until they see it happening in their own context or after they see the benefits. And that's perhaps because well-being is not easily quantifiable. 
companies need to make profit. And so it's almost like well-being doesn't fit the currency that companies use when they speak of performance. But if we look close enough, it matters just that it matters indirectly and over time. And there's one quote that stuck with me from recent research interviews with knowledge workers. This particular employee was facing really high workload, immense pressure. And they said to me, I think if I would have continued like that, I would have had a breakdown. I was, you know, heading for burnout. Their work quality suffered because they were working slower and slower and feeling demotivated and always tired. And just by nudging them to pay attention to how they were spending their time, it made them realize that this was not a sustainable way of being and forced themselves to take a holiday, completely disconnecting from work. And they came back much more refreshed and re-energized and could tackle their work much better. They had resilience. They built resilience. So they said, I had to force myself to take time off to see the benefits of doing that. Now, of course, this is an extreme case, but I bet many of us are feeling tired and torn out. And the reason I mentioned this is because, first, we don't need to let things to get so far before we start making changes. And two, it's not easy to build in such discipline around our day. I mean, I study this and I still have trouble disconnecting from work, making sure I have, you know, I make space and time for other areas in my life. Because if I only focus on work and performance, I might actually sabotage myself by being less effective. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I remember seeing some very old studies looking at things like cotton mills in Manchester back in the Victorian era and how when people were working too much, too long, they would literally be more likely to have accidents and become unproductive. I think what's different now is that we're we're seeing this not just in physical labor, but we seem to be seeing it in knowledge worker kind of things as well. And people who don't just do physical labor kind of activities. Because most of your work seems to be focusing on work like that, yes? Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, for far too long, we have been focusing on productivity in terms of number of hours worked. And, you know, that was fine in the industrial area. But in today's knowledge economy, productivity is much harder to define or measure. And majority of our jobs are task, not time focused. And so productivity in this context is more about delivering a high quality output rather than how many hours have you spent actually working. And yet many leaders might still rely on how many hours their employees um, actually spend working logged into their computer and so forth. And so with the sudden shift to also remote working, I think employees feel even more pressure to always work or better said, you know, to signal that they're always working. Right. Totally makes sense when you think about it. And I, I know you're part of the Wellbeing Research Center at the University of Oxford, and you've been involved in the Time Research Institute with a sabbatical project. So are those institutes really marking a change in focus for organizations when it comes to things like uh, knowledge worker employee productivity? I would like to think so, actually. I mean, we're seeing this happening across the world, and I think if there's anything good coming out of the pandemic from a work perspective is that leaders are starting to realize that it's not just number of hours work that matters when it comes to productivity, but that well-being is kind of an indirect driver of performance and the bottom line that is also important to pay attention to. And I think myths and norms such as the ideal worker norm of work supremacy, that work prevails everything else, it's starting to be shaken from the bottom up that we need to change those norms so that we are creating sustainable workspaces in the future. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you raised the pandemic here. I did a webinar for our school pandemic series, and I brought in Chris Hobson, who's the CEO of NHS Providers. And the point that he and I were but talked a lot about was how easy it is to work 24-7 when you're working from your home. There's no discipline of I turn on as I go into work and I turn off as I come back. We weren't going from real data, though. We were just speculating from what we've seen. So it sounds like, are you doing that kind of work, looking at in the midst of these all these restrictions and working from home, that we're seeing more of this? I think so. I mean, there's there's a lot of popular press articles out there showing that, you know, people's work hours expanded, you know, work kind of started to expand into hours that would otherwise be used for family time or personal time and so forth. And so I, I do think we're seeing that it's also because of fear, but it's also because you're feeling that, you know, there's all these pressures of economic downturn and you're worried about your job. So then you're trying to signal even more that you're working and it's not clear whether it's productive work because if you're constantly checking your email and showing that you're working, you're taking away time from focusing on strategic work that takes more time to delve in. And I can speak about one of my recent field experiments, which we are actually still in the process of analyzing the data, but it's turning out to be one of my favorite studies yet. It was not intentional, but it just happened that it just got kicked off during the pandemic. So over the summer, Dan Cable and I partnered with an emerging consumers good company that is operating globally. So they have offices in South America, North America, the UK, the Nordic countries, and even Sri Lanka and Pakistan. And our goal was to examine whether giving employees time to focus on important but not urgent work tasks would improve not only their happiness at work, but also improve their performance. And we call this gift of time, focus time, as a symbol for proactively encouraging employees to be more critical and intentional about how they approached their time at work. And to understand whether focus time causally improved happiness and performance, we randomly assigned employees to either the control group or the life as usual group who would not yet benefit from engaging in focus time or the focus time group. So employees in the focus time group were instructed to first set aside a 30 minutes weekly planning session when they would make a list of their work tasks and organize them in terms of priority and importance. And second, employees in the focus time group were also instructed to first block two hours in their calendar for four days a week. Second, add one or two maximum tasks that were important but not urgent. So like strategic creative projects that were business relevant. And third, turn off any interruptions or distractions as much as possible. So putting their phone in airplane mode, putting a do not disturb on digital communication tools and so forth. And we did this for six weeks. And after six weeks, we found that employees in the focus time group compared to those in the control group reported a 10% increase in self-reported performance. And among employees who were able to stick with the focus time for at least four out of the six weeks, we also found a 6% decrease in burnout. And, you know, in ongoing interviews that we're now doing with these employees, what we learn is that these results might have been even stronger if employees could have engaged in focus time as much as they wanted to. And I personally think that, you know, these results are actually encouraging in light of the context of this organization and the world, meaning it's an emerging consumer goods company, just barely two years old. And employees were just, you know, learning how to adjust to remote work as a result of COVID. 
And as a result of this research, we're now working with this company and the local leaders to make focus time a company-wide policy that would allow everyone to engage in focus time on a regular basis and therefore, you know, start to change the way work gets done from a reactive to a more proactive and engaged way of working. Wow, interesting. Very interesting. And you mentioned that they would like to have done even more. Is that because they're working from home and there are other disruptions? Um, Was it because they weren't feeling connected to work as much? You know, Mm. there's this strange thing going on where people are feeling disconnected from work and yet working all the time. Right, right. I, I mean, I think there are several things to your question there. So we have been asking this exact question of how would focus time look like at the office compared to at home? And a lot of people were saying that it would have been impossible to actually engage in this, you know, deep work at the office, because if it's kind of an open office space, you're kind of like a moving target. You're always there. People can much more easily interrupt you. And so they were saying that it was to some extent easier to engage in focus time at at home. But then because of this pressure and a lot of meetings and a lot of constant interruptions, because people think that you're at home, there's nothing else that you can do. So you're always available, right? So then it's easy to interrupt and we don't realize how disruptive those small interruptions across the day are. And I think the second part of your question was about being connected to your work and to your team while you're working from home. And I I think, honestly, that's a great question. And I know there are various researchers working right now on this exact question because it's not an easy one to address, in part because one size doesn't fit all. Some employees have very demanding family lives. Others are living alone and feeling increasingly isolated. And of course, then there are newcomers who are trying to learn the culture of the organization and create meaningful work connection. So it's definitely not an easy quest for any leader at this point, I think. And then you have the added complexity of how virtual interactions feel, much more task-oriented, no actual slack time of moving from one room to another that, you know, in hindsight was helping us to mentally switch from one topic to another topic. Some of the employees I've spoken with said they felt like their leader was trying too hard, almost too hard to create the same level of connection that you have at the office, over-communicating and over-scheduling virtual social activities and check-in meetings. But of course, the reality is that I think the virtual workplace is not and cannot be the same as in-person office workplace. So I think we need to first realize that before making any changes. And I think what this all means is that we might need to be more intentional about how we build in times to connect with people at work. We might aim to connect not only with our immediate team, but also with those who we rarely connect with. And we shouldn't overdo it. We might want to aim for balance, unlike everything else in life, right? Maybe schedule a call with someone we haven't spoken with in a long time, once a week, or spontaneously check in with our colleagues. And one of my recent theories around this is that people might find it easier to connect with distant ties in a digital environment because they don't have the level of expectations they otherwise have with a close tie. If you know how an in-person meeting feels, we might be disappointed by how virtual meetings unfold. So for me, at least, a virtual meeting with a close friend actually ends up feeling more energy consuming than energy giving. You mentioned about you know, staying connected to the people at work and being more intentional about it. Does the pandemic and the working from home restrictions, for example, make that 
more important, less important? That what does the pandemic mean for how organizations think about connecting people at work right now? I think definitely more more intentional. I think we definitely need to be more intentional about reaching out to people and creating those connections and having a structure for that, but not overdoing it, right? Because otherwise it's really easy to just focus on work, 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 and not really engage in those water cooler conversations that would otherwise happen at the office. Of course, it's not the same in a virtual environment if it's a scheduled conversation, but maybe building in time for those more spontaneous conversations or leaving some time in a meeting that you just talk about not only work, but just uh, non-work tasks and information and so forth. And given the pandemic and the current climate of people worrying about their jobs, for example, does that push the whole employee well-being agenda down for companies away from this work again? Sadly, I, I think it might. In fact, I mean, at the beginning of the pandemic, we heard that leaders took well-being quite seriously and focused on what can they do to keep employees healthy, encouraging employees to take their annual leave, not work late at night, and so forth. And when they realized that the current situation is here to stay, however, I think performance and cutting costs seem to become again more central and well-being got pushed aside and lowered down the agenda, which is unfortunate. And what leaders might not actually realize is that hiring and training new employees is often more costly than investing in your current employees, making sure they stay healthy and engaged with their work and have opportunities to learn, develop, and advance within the company. And it's almost like the current situation is now the new normal. And the general thinking goes that there's nothing much to do for employees but, but work, that they're at home and no longer need to commute or travel for work. So there's the general culture nowadays where people are expected to be responsive and always on because they are at home. So they should be easily reachable. It's almost like there is less legitimate reasons to say I'm not available. And, and that can be a slippery slope. Yeah, that sounds a bit worrying, really. But let's say, I mean, you made the point very nicely about why organizations should still be paying close attention to this. And in particular, you know, loads of research over the last 50 years consistently shows that hiring new employees is a whole lot more expensive and time consuming than working with the ones you've got. The net is always negative when people leave. So let's assume for a moment here that Mr. Average Employer wants to keep their employees feeling good and and look after their well-being what can they do to maintain if you're a team leader for example to maintain the well-being of your team what are the practical things you can do right so i think you know focus time so the study that i mentioned before is is one thing that you start to make sure that employees have time in the day to get their work done the work that they're being paid for during work hours as opposed to after hours, so like having meetings after meetings, back-to-back meetings in a day, it, it just it stops people from having time to actually focus on those strategic work that they need to get done. And I've heard some leaders in this company that we're working with, they have a no-fly zone or a no-meeting time that they're not allowed to do any meetings in that particular period, like a Wednesday afternoon or a Friday afternoon. So that that is a one, I guess, clear uh, way to make sure that you're making time for the work that employees need to to get done as opposed to just having a lot of busy work in the calendars. The other thing that I would mention, I mean, this is not so much a well-being as kind of 
how to deal with the uncertainty. And I feel like the nature of this pandemic is such that we just don't really know when and whether it will end and how the new normal will look like. And there's a constant change of, you know, how the policies will be, when are we going back to the office, how are we going back to the office, and staying in this state of limbo is not beneficial for anyone. So one employee I spoke with recently told us how it was really difficult to create any routine or make any decisions in their personal life because the decisions from the company lead kept changing. And the moment the leaders made a decision of not returning to the office until next year, they felt they could make plans for themselves, decide, you know, am I moving out of London or not, and so forth. So like clear communication about what the company's direction are, I think it's another good way forward. And then, you know, we can talk about the boundaries at work if you want to delve into that. Uh, yes, I definitely want to delve into that. But before we do, completely see your point about this state of limbo that most people are in right now about whether you're going to be working from home for quite some time or whether you're going to be going back and if and when and how. And we've seen a number of organizations then just declare, for example, that you're going to be working at from home for at least the next year. So it sounds like what you're saying, they're trying to allow people a chance to plan and be out of this limbo state. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So definitely support and clear communication about, you know, what is the company's direction and what do they want to do as opposed to changing from one week to another, because that doesn't allow you to plan for things in your personal life if you don't know whether you need to be back at the office or not. So clear communication and support in terms of, you know, creating a culture that allows people to disconnect from work, but also do their work in a way that it, it's not that they need to work in the weekend or after work hours to get the work that they're being paid for because there are too many meetings scheduled in the day to get to their actual work. So I think there's, there's this overdoing of putting a lot of meetings for any conversation, any discussion, any project, and just that gets in the way of people getting their actual work done. So let's switch then towards the future of work now. And, you know, the pandemic will end either when a vaccine or fully effective treatment happens or when people just get tired of it. And, <laughs> and you know, it's going to happen. So what is that future state of work post-pandemic going to look like, do you think? That's such a good question and also really hard to to address. I think the immediate answer and what we're seeing right now, the trends being, is a hybrid type of organization. I mean, having worked at home and having that kind of flexibility and control over one's work hours, they're not perfect, obviously, but having seen that, employees are saying that they don't want to go back to the office full time. Because, you know, commute time would eat a lot of your daytime. They would want to still go back a couple of days a week to the office. But it's a question of what the office represents. I think it's kind of we're starting to rethink about what is the office really for? Is it more for doing deep work or is it more for connecting with people, socializing, creating those small connections and then going at home and doing something else. So I think we're in the state of we don't want to go back fully to five days a week at the office, but it's also not super clear what the office will function 
for many employees. I mean, it could be a place of socializing, as I said before, but maybe for others, it's a place where they go to do their actual work because their home life is very busy. Yeah, I think there's lots of interesting questions here about the future of work, what it's going to look like and why. And and people may make different choices, as you allude to there. For some, they can get that deep work done at home, and for others, they can't. But for everybody, of course, there's the issue of the commute and how long, how much of your day that takes. Right, um, so. exactly. Yeah, and if I can add just one more thing, I, I, I guess it's also this flexibility that people start to see, oh, I can, you know, fit in some exercise during the day and still get productive work done afterwards. I mean, one of the employees in our field study was saying that by focusing and being aware of how they're using their time across those six weeks, they realized when their death time was, as in when they were not productive, even if they tried to. And that was between 11 and 2 p.m. And so they could take that time and do something else, like exercise, go out for a walk, get a clean air and so forth, and then come back and know that they would still have a couple of hours left to really delve into their work and be productive. Very interesting. And if people could make informed choices, they'd be a whole lot more effective, I would think. Right, exactly. Kind of realizing when you are productive and not just forcing yourself to, you know, we can't work seven, eight hours nonstop. It's just research has already shown us that we can't be, especially in knowledge work, we can't be producing high quality work if we work eight hours nonstop. Yeah, I think excellent point. So let's move on to some of that. I think it's very much related to what we're talking about here, those boundaries that you talked about. Let's describe what you mean by boundary and address kind of why we should be setting boundaries around work. So boundaries are physical, temporal, emotional, cognitive, or relational limits that people use to make sense of the world around them and delineate one entity from another. So, for instance, we can associate home with relaxation and the office with work. Similarly, recent research has shown that some people use commute times, actually, as transition times from work self to home self. And I think because before the pandemic, we used to take these transition points in our day for granted, but the pandemic has made it clear to many of us how important these boundaries within work, but also outside work, are to us. And so if we think of boundaries in terms of the work we do, then I think they are important because otherwise we might just spiral down into spending all our work hours completing busy, immediate work, like answering emails and so forth. And we all need to do this work, of course, but it's not helping us grow, learn and develop in our careers because it gets us away from working on achieving our long term goals or our more strategic work. And this is especially true today, given technology and the high level of pressure and workload we all experience. In fact, there's prior research on the mere urgency effect, which suggests that it is especially when we are stressed and overworked that we tend to focus on the urgent, busy work and push aside important strategic work. And on the short term, this strategy might be beneficial because it helps us, you know, alleviate some of the stress or get a sense of accomplishment because we're crossing some things off of our to-do list but over time is actually harming our performance because we're not devoting enough time and attention to our most critical tasks. As uh, one of uh, one employee put it, most of us are not being evaluated on how many emails we actually answer, but on whether we deliver high quality work. 
And you know, what's more, the strategies we adopt when we feel overwhelmed and stressed can actually increase rather than alleviate that stress. Take, for instance, multitasking. When we feel that our to-do list is endless, we start to multitask as a way of coping with all the things we need to do, a little bit here, a little bit there. But such mental switching from one task to another is harmful for our performance because we need time to transition from one task to another. Researchers call this attention residue. Same with emails. We might think that just briefly checking our email or sending a short message will not harm the task that we focus on right now, but actually it can take up to 20 minutes to get back in focus. Now, we can also think of boundaries at work in terms of separating our work time from our non-work time. And there's a growing body of research showing that constant connection to work, either intentional or not, undermines employees' productivity, personal relationships, and well-being. Employees who are constantly checking or thinking about their work experience greater fatigue, higher levels of stress, and are overall less satisfied with their life. So they may also actually experience impaired physical and mental health. So despite these drastic consequences that we know about, employees still struggle to disconnect from work. And I think the removal of you know, organizational structures, even the commute time, but also just uh, a nine to five work structures that used to clearly separate our work time from non-work time are making it even harder for all of us to disconnect from our work. And in recent work that I conducted with Professor Caitlin Woolley from Cornell University, we show that people who work during normative time off, like national holidays, they tend to experience a lower intrinsic motivation for their work. That is, they find their work less fun or interesting or engaging. And I think the reason why this matters is because intrinsic motivation is, is really has been shown to be a key driver of persistence at work. I think boundaries are not just an individual benefit, but also a collective one, meaning that we need to remember that how we act actually impacts how others act. So for instance, in a recent paper with Professor Vanessa Bond from Cornell University, we find that people underestimate how compelled someone else feels to reply to their non-urgent work emails sent after work hours. I mean, this is, you know, mind-blowing that emails are asynchronous, right? So it allows sender to just send those emails and, you know, as receivers, you can decide when to answer, but even non-urgent emails that are sent after hours just feel feel urgent somehow. Mm, very interesting. Well, and I've learned something too about uh, from everything you said here about the importance of boundaries. For me, I've always placed boundaries around time when I need to write. And I've had to explain to people that I won't be responding to their emails during this four-hour window. And as difficult as they will find that, they will just have to wait. And mm -hmm. I am surprised by how often people find that difficult. You know, I'm trying to draw the boundary that you're talking about and saying, in this work, if I answer this email, it's going to distract me for a significant period of time. So what should I be saying to them that's going to help me help them understand it? Right. I mean, I think this is part of we need to rewire our brains, I think, because we're in this state of, of thinking that everything is urgent. Right. So it's also us being more mindful, of, you know, really blocking things and focusing and not worrying a very concrete answer and solution that I've seen actually happen recently is people put in their footer that they're sending emails and messages and so forth at those hours because those hours work for them, but they don't expect the other person to mimic those hours. So kind of creating creating this kind of clear communication 
guidelines about when are we expected to reply, how urgent something is. I think it can start from there. We've only got a couple of minutes left, and I and I want to make sure we summarize here with some of the concrete actions people can actually take, both for themselves and for their team. And so for myself, I have here being really clear with when and where I am most productive and being able to utilize those hours for that important work. I should be able to have boundaries around you know, certain things where I need that time. And of course, to be able to signal to other people when I am doing that or help them understand it. And for people leading a team, for example, they need to make sure and give or allow people some time to talk, to just talk without an agenda, but not too much because we don't want to overwhelm them with these meetings. And I remember you also suggested trying to make sure that we address the limbo state that people are in right now to do things that allow them to plan where they're going to be working from going forward as much as we can. Well, I've got my actions I need to do, things I've learned from you today. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to speak with you today. You've been listening to the Leadership Playbook, a London Business School podcast. If you've liked what you've heard, subscribe to the podcast. Just search London Business School in your podcast app of choice. To receive a curated selection of articles, podcasts, and films directly into your inbox each fortnight, subscribe to Think at London Business School, the place to go for thought leadership and business insights from London Business School's faculty and alumni. Just tap the link in the show notes.